you very much for your singing today. Matt McGee, would you welcome Matt as he comes to the stage, please? You may be seated. My daughter was involved in a. My daughter was involved in a bet as to whether she would tell me happy birthday as I came up here. Apparently, she lost. It's my dad's birthday. <laughs> so. Uh, the elders, they uh, in the last board meeting, they uh, unveiled this new program where if your birthday falls on a Sunday, then you have to preach. Okay, so I'm the debut of that program. I'll give you all a moment to get out your cell phones to, to check to see if your birthday falls on a Sunday this year or next year. <clears throat> so as Dusty said, I'm a counselor here in town. And some people are counsel um, who are preparing for job interviews. And sometimes they're a little scared that they aren't quite prepared enough. And I often tell them that rarely is, uh, are people prepared fully uh, for jobs when they start. They become qualified as they work. And that's often true of parenting as well. My wife Joy and I always thought that we would adopt children. But we figured we'd have to wait quite a while because we thought it cost a lot of money. So one day we got a flyer in the mail that was advertising adoption classes we decided we would go to the class because we would have to do that somewhere down the road anyway when we had enough money. Like things often do, the flyer got buried underneath a pile of mail, and we forgot about it. But one morning on my way to work, I was listening to Focus on the Family by James Dobson, and the topic that day was none other than adoption. So during the program, I sensed the Holy Spirit telling me that we were supposed to go to that class. I called the agency that day knowing that we had already missed the class. And I begged her, please let us join this class. She reassured me that we could, uh, she could catch us up. At that first class, I told her our story, including the fact that we didn't have the money to adopt. The caseworker said, you misunderstand. This adoption is out of the foster system, which the state of Kansas paid, pays for. We were flabbergasted, realizing that this could happen much quicker than we had originally thought. Our first option was one child, a boy named Jonathan, which uh, obviously didn't work out. Next, the caseworker brought us another option, which he said was perfect for us because we were young and energetic. Three kids. Our eyes widened. Joy and I looked at each other, and we decided in that moment that we would do it. We were in for a crash course in parenting. We were forced to deal with situations that we never dreamed of, that we weren't prepared for. But they forced us to research and try different things, some of which were great and some of which were lousy. But by God's grace, as parents, we became better. So what does loving parenting look like? Many things have been done that were said to be loving, but were they? Most parents are motivated by a caring heart, but they often have different methods. So how are we supposed to know how to apply love your neighbor to our relationship with our children? First of all, let's ask, what is the goal of parenting? Foster Klein and Jim Fay in their book, Parenting with Love and Logic, talk about four parenting styles, each with their own goal. First is the helicopter parent. You get this idea of a helicopter constantly hovering over the child, ready to prevent a, das- a disaster should it occur, swoop in and save the child. This is the parent who needs to be needed the goal of the, of the helicopter parent is to prevent the child's pain at all costs. 
Next is the drill sergeant parent. Sometimes drill sergeant parents are loud like the name suggests, but not necessarily. The thing is that they all use directives. Do this, don't do that. No decisions are left for the child to make. The parent makes all the decisions for the child. The goal of the drill sergeant parent is to make the child in their image, a cookie-cutter copy of themselves. Next is the laissez-faire parent. Laissez-faire parent says to the child, do whatever you want as long as you don't bother me. You don't interfere with me, and I won't interfere with you. And last, the consultant parent. The consultant parent is more like a coach who trains the child to be able to face life himself. Like a counselor who doesn't judge the child when he makes poor decisions, but recognizes that this is part of the learning process. Like an advisor who doesn't control the child, but gives the child helpful information and trusts the child to make a number of decisions for himself, recognizing that the good decisions will be reinforced by life, and the poor decisions will be disciplined by life, and the parent will be there for the child when it does. We all want our children's success. That's good. But do we want them to be successful for us or for them? We all have two options for worship. We either worship God or we worship ourselves. So our children, like anything, can be a gift or a God. A means of worshiping God or a means of worshiping ourselves. So let's look first at how parenting can be a means of self-worship. The children who show up in my counseling office with behavior problems often have parents that are either the helicopter parent who's trying to uh, prevent the child's pain or the drill sergeant parent who is trying to make the child just like them. The helicopter parent is trying to prevent the child's pain by preventing problems or saving him from problems. So it does, in moments, make the child happy. But ultimately, they're creating a false sense of reality for the child that they are the center of the universe and that life is easy. This is a relationship without rules. Very good in relationship, but poor with rules. And the result is a spoiled brat that no one wants to be around or a child who believes they're incapable of facing life's problems. Another problem is that the parent can't insulate the child from all the problems in life, especially into adulthood. The kid will inevitably hit the wall of life at some point and will be ill-prepared to face it. Is it loving to set your child up for a big failure later so that you can have it easy now? The thing is, failure is inevitable for us all. Klein and Faye talk about our mistakes being what they call SLOs, significant learning opportunities. Think about it for yourself. Have the deep-seated lessons in life come from a lecture of your parent or from making a mistake that had a natural consequence that left you sore? Essentially, who's a better teacher of your children? You or life? Klein and Faye talk about the lessons we learn having price tags attached to them and that, we, that uh, the earlier we learn them, the cheaper the price tag. Do we want our children to learn the responsibility from their toy getting ruined because we allowed them to leave it out in the rain or when they're 17 and wrap their car around a tree. The lesson is inevitably coming and the price tag is determined by how old they are and when they are allowed to experience the lesson. Of course, there are lessons for which the price tag is not affordable. 
If our kid were to ask us permission to play on the freeway, it's not like we would say, sure. Life or death decisions do not have affordable price tags. Even so, saving our children from lessons that do have affordable price tags is not necessarily loving. Another reason why we may not want our children to experience pain is because it pains us to see them in pain. So we prevent their pain in order to prevent our pain, making our parenting about us, self-worship, rather than about their development. The second kind of parenting I see in my office is the drill sergeant parent, who is upset that they are unable to control their child, upset that their children are rebelling against them, upset that they can't make their child in their own image. These parents are often rigid in their expectations. If helicopter parenting was relationship without rules, then drill sergeant parenting is rules without relationship. And the result is a rebel who devotes himself to be the opposite of everything that you are, including the good parts. How many times have these kids done something, not because they wanted to, but simply to, to spite their parents' control? You may have the perfect rules and the perfect consequences, but without a relationship in which they feel cared for by you, they couldn't care less. I see a lot of parents who harp on their, on their kids over every little thing. A threshold of involvement I like to teach is that if it directly affects you, get involved. If it doesn't directly affect you, stay out of it. And let the natural consequences of life do their work. Meanwhile, you develop a strong, supportive, bonded relationship with your children so that they have you to support them in their rebuilding process when their house on the sand goes splat. Another problem is that how you define success may be different than how your children define success. We just went to the high school musical. I can't remember what it's called. (laughs) The dad in the play was the basketball coach and defined success for his son as basketball stardom, leading him at first to dismiss the value of singing, which his son enjoyed. If I am trying to make my child me and try to justify it by saying that if I am successful... Being like me is good for you. It still may be self-worship because I'm doing it chiefly because it would please me rather than supporting my child as they meander along their journey toward who God made them to be. We all want our children to be excellent. Great. But is it that we want them to be excellent for God's glory or do we want them to be excellent because the American dream is our God? Excellence for my ease, my dreams, and my glory, or for God's pleasure and his glory. Not that we have to have one or the other, but which is better? Success in the world system and ultimately failure in God's, or failure in the world system and ultimately success in God's? Hannah is a good example of this in the Bible. She couldn't have children and was made fun of for it. But God blessed her with a son, Samuel, and she dedicated him to God. And Samuel began serving Eli, uh, the priest, as a boy, even though it meant that Hannah could not spend as much time with him. She knew that ultimately, 
Samuel didn't belong to her. She was only a steward of Samuel, who actually belonged to God. Being barren for many years, she had every reason to be possessive of her son, but instead recognized that parenting was not a means of self-worship, but God-worship. So we've seen that relationship without rules will create a spoiled brat who's in for a rude awakening. And rules without relationship create a child in rebellion who doesn't have the ability to make good decisions themselves, but simply reacts against what you want. So let's look for a moment at how God parents us. It might give us some clues as to how parenting can be a means of God worship. God's first children were Adam and Eve. He gave them a single rule. Don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them of the consequence should they not obey, that they would die. He set a line, and when they crossed it, he enforced the line, allowing them to experience the consequence of their choice. Even so, we see, God's, God, we see God as connected relationally with them, as he had already made plans to restore them to himself through Jesus' sacrifice. God later creates a covenant with Israel. He says, give me obedience and I will give you blessing. Every good relationship is an exchange. When Israel was in a pattern of disobedience, God withdrew his blessing in an effort to teach them to turn to him and remain with him. He was always there. He was always faithful to be there, ready to reconnect when they were ready. Perhaps the most iconic father in the New Testament is in the story of the, that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. You have a son who tells his dad, I wish you were dead already so that I could have your money. Wow. Dad makes an interesting move here. Most of us would laugh in the kid's face and say, get a job. This dad gives his utterly disrespectful son the money. I imagine with a pained look on his face, perhaps due to his son's lack of love for him, but maybe more so because he knew that the lesson his son was about to go through was going to result in a great deal of pain. The dad didn't wire him some more money when he was running out, like the helicopter parent would, having no rules and only relationship. The dad didn't order the boy to be more respectful like a drill sergeant parent would, having no relationship and only rules. In sadness, he allowed the boy to experience the natural consequence of his foolish decision, believing that this would be a learning opportunity for his boy. We see the boy does experience the pain of rejection as his companions leave him, poverty as he is no longer able to provide for himself, and disgrace as he longs to eat the pig's food. Romans 1 says, For although people knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts. God essentially says, you think you can find fulfillment apart from me? All right. Good luck with that. 
one day when our kids were young and we lived in Pittsburgh and the kids and I were playing outside and Cameron, my son, unreasonably didn't want to share one of his toys that he wasn't even playing with. I said, you know what we should do? We should have a no-sharing day. A day in which you can play with your stuff and nobody else will. He took the bait and thought it was a great idea. As long as we were outside, it was going great for him. But it was a hot summer day, so after a while, we went inside. Cameron went to sit on the couch, and I asked, what are you doing? He said that he was tired and he wanted to rest on the couch. I said, it's no sharing day, remember? Whose couch is that? Yours, he said. Seeing where this was going, he asked, Dad, is it all right if we go back to sharing? I said, sure, good idea. From then on, when he was being unreasonably selfish, all I had to do was ask, oh, do you want to go back to, do you want to do a no-sharing day? And he quickly said, no, 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 I'll share. Allowing Cameron to take his selfishness to its ultimate end helped him to be loving, perhaps more than ordering him to share would have. God set up the world in a certain way and made us to work best when we live a certain way. Are bad ways bad simply because God randomly picked some things out of a hat and said, these are bad? Or are they bad because he knows they just don't work? Bad ways will ultimately not work. If we allow our children some degree of freedom to try out the different buttons of the game of life and not save them from the consequences, we give them the opportunity for learning. So back to the dad of the wayward son. Was he a bad parent? Or was he a wise parent who knew that life was a better teacher than he was? While the story is not necessarily meant to be a lesson in parenting, we can see some principles in it. Principles uh, that show us the way things tend to work. If it were a true story, it is possible that the wayward son would have never returned. There are no guarantees with such things. But what we do see in the story is that the son's pain as a result of his foolishness caused humility to rise up within him, restoring him to relationship with his father and giving him wisdom. Some time ago, my daughter Justice told me that she was dating a guy. I happened to not think that the guy was the healthiest option. But I didn't offer my opinion of him. She was happy about it at the time, so I just was happy with her. Every so often, I would, I would ask, uh, how's it going with the guy? Over the course of time, because I joined her in her happiness when it was going well, she began telling me things that she was seeing that she wasn't pleased with. Once again, I simply reflected what she was saying, rather than saying, dump the guy. I said, you're not crazy about how he's been acting. You don't seem to be enjoying him as much as you used to. After this went on for a bit, she ended the relationship. Had I forbidden her to see him, out of defiance, she might still be with him today. But by me only mirroring what she was telling me, just using empathy to join her in her joy and in her concern, it helped her to move through her own learning process and come to a wise decision herself. 
maybe you are really good at relationship, but have been catering to your children, giving them a false sense of reality that the universe centers around them, giving them an easy, enjoyable time now, but ultimately setting them up to hit the wall and crash and burn. Perhaps it's time to draw some well-needed lines and force them for the development of your children and God's enjoyment. Maybe you're really good at rules, but those rules and their enforcement are coming out of a lack of relationship. Our favorite teachers throughout our education made us want to learn because we knew they cared about us. Perhaps it's time to see your children for who they are and join them in their interests with them for the development of your children and for God's enjoyment. Maybe it's time to let go of your fear and trust in the experience of life and influence of the Holy Spirit to develop the minds and hearts of your kids. Maybe what you need today isn't to learn how to parent well, but to be parented well. Receiving God as your good dad. Earlier we talked about how every good relationship is an exchange. Jesus initiated the best exchange of all. Martin Luther called it the great exchange in which we gave Jesus our sin and he gave us his eternal goodness and all the benefits that come along with it. Regardless of your decision today, we have kind people at the front who will pray for you regarding your decision. Let's pray together now. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you died for us, giving us opportunity to connect with you and be in relationship with you. Thank you for uh, loving us enough to discipline us well, drawing us closer to you. Thank you for showing us how to love and telling us that as you have loved us, so we should love one another. Please help us to do that by your might and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.